Ladies and gentlemen, and those who fall into neither category, welcome to the USS Reliant podcast. We are Star Trek Adventures podcast, and unfortunately for all the players, the DM this evening will be me, Geraldine Blackwell. I also usually play the con officer, Kara Junrani. Now let's meet the rest of our cast. Going down the list, we have Chorok. Yo. Next up, we have the bartender, Grimnir. Oi. Our captain, who unfortunately has the job of keeping the rest of us together, Marcus Graves. Attic. And the other one who tries to keep the ship from exploding, but in a slightly different way, Rick Tier, our chief engineer. The ship is functioning at full capacity. That won't be true for long, I assure you. So, you know, this is the part where if we were streaming, we would play the, the big intro. So I'm going to pretend that that's already happened. And the camera now zooms in on the camera on the captain's ready room, where Marcus is sitting and reading a book. The title of the book says, Usagi Ro, Romance with Ibi for the Tailless. <laughs> oh, here we go. So Marcus is reading the book and... He has debated with himself for a long time about reading this book. It's been a, it was a it was a Christmas present from Kara. Like after after Karat, before what what happened to Lapatus, and it just he couldn't bring himself to do it because it's like okay, I've known Setzer for years. We 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 kind of maybe sort of I don't know. And then he's just like, God damn it, I've got to do this right. I'm not going to shortcut it. That's old Marcus. I'm new Marcus. I'm not afraid of reading and getting data. So he has chosen today to dive into the book, reading along, and trying to really go with the flow. The book has been translated from the original Ibi well, but there's still those traces of idiomatic expressions and changes in grammatical structure where... What he's reading on relationship advice with Ibby and dating, and especially from written from a different cultural perspective, is just making him feel uncomfortable, especially as he's come in from his background uh, on Laurentia in dealing with Orion society. And as he's trying to get he's a, a handle as he's trying to get a handle on that, there comes a beep from the tabletop com. An incoming priority message from Starfleet Command. Marcus Paddocks. <laughs> <laughs> just like he just like he just has that like ah moment and just sort of the book goes flying out of his hand sort of like you know it's like on the floor in front of his desk and he's like he slaps the table and it's just okay breathe breathe okay the screen resolves to um, a picture of Shoto Futagami ah uh, captain um what's the pleasure today the pleasure today commander marcus is that I need you to deviate from your current path to investigate a f an anomaly. Uh, it's in the Avonmoth system. This is an anomaly we've detected off and on throughout oh, the past 50 years. There's only one slight problem. Every time we send somebody to investigate it, it's already gone by the time they're there. It was just recently passed by a passing freighter, so I'm hoping that by the time you get there, the anomaly will still be there to scan for once. Um... How close is this? Our current maximum warp is three. Why is your current maximum warp three? I thought you had recovered from all the damage. Uh, no, we're still on route to uh, Epsilon 10. In my case, I'm doubly sorry to have asked this for you, Captain, but you are the closest one. At warp three, you're approximately three minutes away, depending on how long okay. you remain going in another direction. 
All right. Yeah, I'll have the crew uh, immediately change course. I'll also talk to my engineer about maybe or seeing if we can uh, bump things up a little bit just to make sure that we've got the best chance possible of getting to this anomaly. Well, all you have to do is get there and scan it. It's been there for 50 years, but the main problem is that every time we send someone, it's gone. Hopefully this time it won't be the last. Uh, yeah, hopefully. And yeah, who knows? Maybe creeping up on it slowly. Might, I don't know, be a different approach, incidentally. Futagami laughs. She says, fine, stalk the thing. Run up behind it and <laughs> yell boo, whatever it takes to get you something useful out of it instead of just seeing it from a distance blinking on and off like we have. Anyway, those are your right. orders. After yeah. that, proceed with your main mission. Futagami out. Marcus hits the button and it's just, okay. And then he's like, oh, presence of mind. He uh, taps his combat badge and says, uh, Marcus, uh, Marcus to Junrani. Uh, Junrani's badge beeps down in Club 42. Junrani here, what? Uh, are you on the bridge right now? Hey, Grimnir, say hi. Hi. Oh, wait, are we on the bridge? This doesn't look like the bridge to me. The bridge has got a lot of bar stools and replicators now, doesn't it? Why did y'all redesign this? <laughs> uh, Marcus says, is Moon down there? No, he should be up on the bridge. Somebody's got to be flying the ship. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. All right. Uh, I got to go talk to Moon. So Marcus uh, taps uh, close to the channel, uh, heads out of his office, and um, looks over to the uh, con station. Lieutenant Moon currently sits there, looking bored. Moon, we've got something interesting. Uh, what, what, what is that, sir? Uh, anomaly. Uh, no Starfleet vessel has been able to detect it yet. Uh, it's been pretty stable. It's just a question of, let's just say, sneaking up on it. Um, we're about three minutes away at warp three. I'm going to go talk to Rick about maybe, uh, bumping up our speed a little bit. But we need to set our course to the following coordinates. And he, uh, holds up a data pad, or hands Moon a data pad with the, um, information about the, uh, anomaly and its present location. Moon looks it over. Oh, Ivanmoth system. Yeah, not a whole lot there, but asteroids. Well, I'll get us there, sir, but here's to hoping this doesn't turn out like the last anomaly we've snuck up on. We've got to get lucky one of these days. Uh, Marcus, at that point, uh, turns, his, uh, turns his attention, just sort of uh, heads to the center of the room into the uh, uh, command chair, taps his combat badge and says, uh, Graves to Rick Tier. Rick Tier here, sir. Uh, we're going to try to, uh, sneak up on an anomaly. I'm just wondering, could we push up the speed a little bit from warp three? Well, uh, we're on a sort of marathon here, so right now. We're just limping by as it is, but, uh, we'll see what we can come up with. Yeah, uh, safety first, of course. So if it's a little bit more of a stretch, don't worry about it. It's maybe a wild goose chase. I mean, we'd be the first ship to be able to uh, approach this anomaly. But if it doesn't work, then no problem. We can just uh, head on by. So if we can get a little bit more speed, great. Otherwise, safety of the ship first. Okay, so Rick Tier, you know that due to the work that you, the engineering team, and Chorog have been doing over the past few days, you could bump up the speed. The ship could reliably maintain warp 5 without much of an issue. Anything higher than that, though, and you're starting to play dice. All right, well, uh, with, with the orders, with the situation, I think it's, we'll bump it up to, um, I'll give the orders for the engineering to, team to, to bump up the energy, start going at warp five. I will obviously inform the captain after talking. Uh, Marcus then proceeds to inform Moon with the shout, Hey, Moon, 
You can give it a little bit of gas now. Hi, sir. So, at this point, we do a slight scene cut, and the next thing we see is the Reliant warping into system at Ivanmoth. It's a large system with a red giant star, and no planets to speak of, just a great many asteroids orbiting in a vast cloud. Moon says, All right, we're here, Captain. Uh, wh- who's on the sensors today? Because whatever it is, it's not visual. I'm not seeing it. Uh, let me check the duty roster. Um, they should be on the bridge soon. And Marcus sort of checks the list and is like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's, uh, Setsujigoro. And this would be the first time that both of them have served on the bridge simultaneously. So, at this point, the turbo lift door is open and Setsu walks out. Moon looks over. Oh, hey, it's the junior science officer. Hi. hey you. She looks over at Marcus and says, um, Ensign Jigoro, uh, reporting for duty, sir. As she passes by Moon's and... station, he hands her the data pad. Oh, fun. I'll, um, get to scanning. So, the main deflector of the ship kicks into gear, bathing the entire system with particles of various types, and eventually you're able to determine roughly where this gravitic anomaly is. And you start to realize that what it is is actually an unstable subspace rupture, a tear in the fabric of space-time. And presumably the reason that it can't always be detected is that it randomly opens and closes over time. Uh, is going to immediately inform, like, have... Okay. So, Setsa is expecting just a delightful little puzzle. They're in, a, you know, middle of Federation space. Nothing to worry about here. Presumably. But then well, she I wouldn't sees go flying through the asteroid cloud, opening, but yes. Yeah. The, so she sees... Opening in space-time. Randomly opening and closing. And she just has the the sort of the, the, the pit drop out of her stomach, and she says, Uh, Captain, it's an opening in space-time. And the tone just said, spark us off, is like, Yeah, this is not our day to get lucky. And he says, Uh, whole position, let's not get any closer to that thing. A science officer from behind him, you know, speaks up. Seems to be stable, sir. It's just a subspace rupture. It's almost like it's leading to some kind of interconnected system. I'd say the closest thing I can think of that we've seen like this was the underway in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Marcus starts to think. Um, that case, uh, can we send a probe through it without potentially disrupting it? Well, let's have a science insight roll from Setsa to see if she's... Or actually, no, control science from Setsa to see if she can do this. Aha, jokes on you, they're both the same. <laughs> uh, so control uh, science, so successes count of two. Also, we're going to need to move this to game time chat, but I'll go ahead and say that that, you know, so those successes. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it doesn't matter because we don't have, like, the stream tonight, so, but yeah, there we go. Touche. So, Setsa knows that she can do it. I mean, this is pretty easy. This thing's not going anywhere. You can just send a probe of whatever type into it. And if this is anything like the underway, when it goes through, it'll probably either sit there or be swept away on a kind of subspace current. Either one would get you some information. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and send it in. So, the probe is launched in, and it goes past the barrier of the subspace thing, and it's just swept away, and keeps sending out a signal, and it just basically maps out a long tube until it's spat out somewhere else. Unfortunately in deep space, but not in any danger. 
Uh, can we get a location on its exit point? The exit point is roughly 10 hours away at warp 9 in the span of a minute. Interesting. So Marcus thinks to this and is like, this is interesting. Uh, we've got a, a subspace underway passage. It could be a natural phenomenal, uh, anomaly. Um, science officer, uh, scan the asteroids for any metal content or anomalous trace alloys. Sure, go ahead and do a, another... Re- Let's do you know, inside science, but you said they're both the same, so whatever. Yeah. Two successes. Setsa can tell you that these are all extremely rocky asteroids that are very boring as far as space goes. Okay, so no immediate signs that there could have been a civilization here, and this is the remains of a warp gate. So Marcus just notes all this down. Is like, all right, um, I think we've got enough right now to send a report, initial report over to command. I mean, they're, they'd be curious to find out this, that this type of thing is here, and that there's something worth checking out at the exit point. Uh, let's have the probe on the other end just keep transmitting and keeping an eye on that exit point in case it shifts. This won't be the first time that a wormhole has been discovered that has a loose end at one uh, junction. Moon just kind of turns and looks back. Given the way it's acting, sir, it's almost like we're in the middle of the wormhole and this is just a crack in it. Yeah, possibly. All right. Um, let's see. Let's go ahead and deploy another probe uh, at the opening, just to get a little bit more, uh, just to provide a little bit more of a monitoring post. Um, because when it changes, we also want to get some data on that too. Science officer, you know, of unknown origin behind the captain, standing over there, says, "Yes, sir," and you know, launches a probe, not as well as Setsa did, but good enough to sit near the opening. <sighs> All right then, we have done some science without getting shot at. This uh, makes me quite happy. At this point, there's a scene change down to Club 42, where Kara is sitting with Grimnir, and Chorog might be present, depending on if he's working or not. Kara swigs back, you know, another slug of alcohol, and looks over at Grimnir. No, I'm glad I'm not on duty today. I got a bad feeling about this. Grimnir uh, quirks an <laughs> eyebrow and says, Glass, he always got a bad feeling. Have another drink. It'll make that go away. True enough. On the other hand, I've always been right so far, too. He just shakes his head and goes back to polishing a mug. So at this point, it's presumable that Marcus has given the order for the ship to leave. And, you know, there are windows at Club 42. So Grimnir and Kara can just look out the window and watch as the stars start to streak off in warp travel. And they slam to a stop. And they streak backward in the other direction. Kara looks over Uh, at Grimnir. This isn't normal. (laughs) We can cut back to the bridge then. Uh, Setsa goes has to make a check to ma- or to keep down her panic. So that would be, let's see, uh, Presence Command? Uh, I would say that, yeah, that sounds good, because she's trying to not look panicked, whether or not she is or not. Yeah. And she Setsa is unnerved, to... but not uh, panicked. <laughs> okay, so she's unnerved, kind of uh, fiercely uh, scanning, uh, trying to figure out what's wrong. And why this is happening. Moon speaks up from the, you know, panel that he's at. It's almost like something's drawing us in, sir. It's like a gravitational wave, but I would almost say it's more like something inhaling. Uh, I can probably bet, Marcus uh, says, I can probably bet what's happening here. Um, Let's see. Just, we're not in a position to push any harder. Is there any way we can force that anomaly closed? The science officer from behind 
you know, the captain starts to talk. But at that point, the ship is violently lurched and flies through the subspace rip. For everyone on board, this is extremely unpleasant. It's like being suddenly yanked in a direction that shouldn't exist. Like kind of being turned inside out. The entire world seems to shatter into small glass shards which pass through you, cutting you to ribbons. It's painful and disorienting, and fortunately, before too long, everyone on the ship blacks out. Uh, just so long as we don't turn into sofas and penguins, we should be fine. Not yet, anyway. The camera pans next around the next scene, which shows the Reliant lit slightly, floating in a massive field of dead starships and debris. We go now to engineering, where we'll find Rick and Chorog, as they'll be the first to wake up. When they do, they'll notice that there are warnings going off about low power levels. The warp core has been shut down in safety mode, and fusion power is failing. Alright, I guess the first thing to to know, do, is to um, try and um, restore fusion power. Get that get that working for, for general ship function. Chirag, is there anything you'd like to do at the same time? Well, Chirag, Chirag reawakens. Says a few rather ugly Gnostic and swear words. Shaking the cobwebs loose. It's Turns unpleasantly to, like being hung over. Right down to the nausea. As he presently vomits all over a console. Actually, uh, I will do a roll. To be fair, I wasn't going to make anybody puke. This is all on you guys. Yeah, it is. Um, so, I mean, Rick... In more than one sense. Uh, yeah, so as Rick is going to the, to the, um, fusion engines to try and figure out what's going on, uh, he just sort of, like, gets, gets a wave of dizziness, but he just rests his arm against, uh, one of the consoles and sort of holds for a moment, takes a big, deep breath and just keeps pummeling on. So a... wipes the Noskin vomit off the console he was working on, manages to reroute power from the emergency batteries to reinforce the fusion reactors. That sounds like a good idea. Uh, Chirag, give me a control engineering, and Rick, uh, just same thing. Control engineering from both of you, please. Chirag, you will get, you know, your standard bonus for your kind of... What was the... It was, Makeshift engineering, I believe, was the, the idea. Holy shit. Um, so do I get uh, my EPS focus? Yeah, go right ahead. And uh, I think we're going to take your first roll, Chorog, since that was better, even though you didn't put the 11 on it. Yeah, I agree. Okay. It doesn't take too terribly long. Between Chorog rerouting the emergency batteries to even things out momentarily... Rick is able to eventually bring the fusion reactors back up to power. They're still running slightly unstably, but they should hold for the next few hours at the very least. The ship now glows slightly with more power than it had before. Uh, next thing is to check on the rest of the crew. How, how, how the engineering team holding up? There? Well, some of them have followed in Chorog's path, some of them have followed in yours. But everyone is more or less alive and awake. Everyone is sore and nauseous and very disoriented, but everyone seems fine. And actually, since you're taking the time to look around, I would like an insight science roll from both you and Chorog. Okay. 
Inside and Science are both not um, my fortes, but apparently I rolled really well. Yeah, that's going to be actually incredibly helpful. Okay, so looking around, Chorog, all you can tell is that your sense of sight seems different. You can't quite put your finger on it, but something seems wrong with the way everything looks. Rick, looking around, you can put your eye, your, you know, put it to the test quite easily. Everything everywhere has just the slightest amount of a blue tinge to it now that it didn't have before. So does that mean triolic or does that mean subspace? You don't know about that right now. You just know that everything looks slightly blue. And it certainly didn't look that way on the other side of the wormhole subspace anomaly. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to type my com, com badge. Uh, Rick here to Captain Graves. Do you read me? We cut, we cut now to the bridge where, similarly, everyone is waking up from a very unpleasant trip. Uh, and Marcus makes it. Uh, he manages to push past the nausea, just um, sort of sit upright. He's fallen forward off of his chair, and it's just... Uh, Marcus here. Uh, Captain, we've, uh, and uh, power has been stabilized after our trip, but there seems to be like a blue tint to everything. Where are we? And as soon, as soon as Baz mentions it, everyone who hears him mentions it can notice, oh yeah, that's what's off. Can Marcus, so Marcus, Marcus nods like, yep, I'm seeing it. All right. So definitely priority is to get out of here. And we need sensors, we need engines, and best speed possible. So what does the captain order? So, Rick, I wanted us to get moving. Uh, Moon, uh, are you getting over there, Moon? I'm up, sir. It, I've had worse, but not by much. All right. All right. Uh, I want you to get uh, attitude control and uh, pilot us away out of here. So we need to uh, scan, find out what's around us, plot the best uh, chart uh, out. So I want that, those two things done simultaneously. Alright, sir. We're down to fusion power, so all I've got is thrusters. Alright. Make best speed. To where? Uh, find that out first. Uh, scan. Well, that would be Setsa's domain. Setsa can scan, but all she can detect through the entirety of the range that the sensors will go out is hundreds of thousands of wrecked starships of every possible configuration she can think of. And more than a few configurations uh, she would never imagine. Let's see. She's got to do something first, though. She hurled. She, uh, she got a success, though. She managed to hurl only onto the floor. Yeah, so she, she hurls, just has that moment. Marcus hears it. And just has that conflict of, I'm on the bridge, I'm the captain. Alright. Don't make an issue of it. Don't draw attention to it. Oh, my teacher? And Setsa stands up and uh, says, I, I'm scanning now, but I'm just detecting ships. No orientation. Just a lot of ships. Also, Setsa, as she moves across the computer, notices that the computer is working, but just a little bit sluggishly. Uh, is gonna try to figure out what's going on with that said computer. So she, uh, runs a diagnostic. Okay, this'll be engineering, not science, but we'll go with reason engineering. 
Well, you definitely got at least one success. So looking it over, nothing seems to be wrong with the system. At least the quick self-diagnostics that she can run through very quickly report that, you know, everything is fine. Power levels are okay coming from the fusion plant. Warp core is offline, but everything else is doing fine. At this point, Oakley arrives on the bridge, flying out of one of the Jeffries tubes. He kind of meanders around the bridge, does a slow loop, and flies back over to the Jeffries tube, tilted slightly to the right. He almost looks drunk. Marcus just gives Oakley that curious eye. It's like, well, I mean, we've all felt sick, so maybe it's, he thinks, maybe it's just his manifestation of that, but uh, let's run a diagnostic. Uh, Marcus taps his comm badge. Um, hey, Rick. If you've got anyone to spare, um, Oakley's looking a little off. Might be good to take a look at him to see how he's being affected here, because that could be affecting our ship systems. So I don't know. Uh, maybe have Chorog uh, help, out, uh, help out with that. So at this point, we're going to cut now to Club 42. Rikara is face down on the bar. She and Grimnir regain consciousness. Kara doesn't move for a bit. Grimnir, what was in... That drink. He uh he slowly gets up from behind the bar, shaking his head. I don't know, lass. He looks around, and says, "I didn't think it was the drink." What was the uh what was the role we were doing not to uh get sick? I was doing uh fitness command. I was doing fitness security. You hold it in by force or hold it in by will. Yep. There he goes. Uh, He's okay, good. so. <laughs> Well, Kara's having issues. Um, let's see, who else is going to be in the bar? That'd be fun. I like the idea that Mule the Sheep is not affected by this at all, and he woke up to her licking his face to try to wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> As the dragon, too. Okay, uh, Kara's resetting. Oh, God, that would be scary that whatever the nature of this place is, she can't maintain the shape of the sheep. Oh, or she's stuck in the shape of the sheep, and it's just a sheep. Okay, now I can hear everybody, and it looks like I can broadcast. I'm sorry, what did I yep. mention? <laughs> uh, we're just joking around about Mule. Okay, I was going to joke around with the fact that Club 42 is now full of a lot of passed out people. For Grimnir, it almost looks like Saturday morning. <laughs> Chef Chorog come into Club 42 chasing after Oakley, who's trying, who's, every time he gets close, he shocks him. Sounds good. But Oakley doesn't so much shock Chorog as he just kind of, it's almost drunken master style kind of dodging, where he just kind of tilts out of the way and flies erratically enough that Chorog is just having a devil of a time getting him. Come back here, you little Habiba. I need to check you. Kara just kind of looks around. Hey, Grimnir, you think they need help? Uh, they might, lass. They might. Okay, so you you do that. I'm just I'm just going to lay here for a bit because... Everything is spinning. So Grimner is going to go tend to everybody, make sure everybody feels good. If anybody's showing any overt signs of sickness, he's going to tap his comm badge and alert the med bay. No, everything seems mostly okay, except for the fact that Chorog is now chasing Oakley around yelling at him. And Oakley is flying like a drunken seagull. Chorog finally gets Oakley cornered by a replicator. Chorog lunges forward. Oakley dodges. Chorog goes flying into the replicator head first, damaging the replicator. Banana, hop. Banana, hop. 
God. <laughs> this goes on for about two minutes before the lights go off in Club 42 and then come back on in emergency power mode and the computer intones, warning, excess power draw from fusion reactor detected. Please limit power consumption during warp core inactivity. Grog mutters something in it. Illegibly nasty and nauseous, and darts out of the room. Uh, as soon as that warning comes across, Grimnir bolts up right, taps his comm badge, says, "Computer, engage emergency program Sovngard." And Club Forty Club Forty Two uh, basically turns into uh, like low power mode. Nothing really works other than essential systems. The computer beeps and does as it's told. The lighting comes back up to normal levels, but the replicators are most decidedly offline now. No one caught Oakley. Chorog taps his wrist communicator. Richter, this is Chorog. What's going on with the po- what's going on with the fusion reactors? Computer is giving off warnings. Actually, Chorog, you know that nothing is wrong. It's just that the fusion reactors don't provide enough power for the replicators to really function. The warp core is necessary to do matter-to-energy conversion. Or rather, energy-to-matter conversion, in the case of the replicator. However, at this point, Oakley has now flown back into Club 42 and just lands in front of Grimnir and beeps. Hey, you're having one of those days too, are you? Here, have something special. And he reaches under the bar and he pulls out a can of WD-40. <laughs> Oakley makes a little smiley face, but it's kind of glitchy and staticky. Trog stumbles back into Club 42, sees Oakley, finally manages to grab him. Oakley is grabbed. Trog looks over to uh, Grimnir and says, Quick, I need a whiskey. I need something to clear my head. I got you. He reaches into the bar and he pulls out a bottle of Nausicaan brandy. Trog takes a bottle, bite. Bites the lid off, chugs the bottle, and says, ah, I did that, and smashes the bottle on the floor. You actually feel a lot better, Chorog. Oh, man. that Yeah, that's better. I feel so much better now. Now hold still so I can take a look at what's wrong with you. Chor- Chorog pulls out a scanner, begins scanning Oakley. The scanner reports that nothing is tangibly wrong. Nothing is wrong with Oakley's circuits. He's physically fit and sound. Other than the fact, of course, like everything else around, it seems to be slightly bluer than normal. But it looks like the processing speed and everything else on Oakley has been toned down. You get the feeling this is probably what might be slowing him down, is just his systems are moving slower for some reason. Trog takes the WD-40, puts it into his, puts it into Oakley's input nozzle, and act and depresses the can, filling Oakley with the WD-40. Yeah, oh, that's how to help you. Yellow bugger. And at this point, I think we can cut back to engineering real quick to check in with Rick Tier. Is Rick trying to bring the warp core back online? Uh, yes. Uh, once the initial power, you know, the, the, the fusion power is there to at least provide basic fun. Uh, Rick is corolling up the engine, the warp core. Magic. Magic. Let's have, let's see. Let's have presence engineering, since you're trying to be the the face of all this. So that's 15. You will get your standard one success, because, of course, everyone's working as a team. I don't think that I would get a... F- nah, this is the warp core, not the EPS, so fortunately you get no focus. Two successes, anyway. With a third coming from the, you know, fact that you're working with everyone on the engineering team. 
Restarting the warp core is a very simple procedure, and everybody manages to get it ready in about five minutes. So you prep everything, you get the warp core ready, you start it up, and alarms go off and the warp core goes dead again. And then the computer reports, reaction out of control, warp core shut down for safety. So do we know, uh, figure out how, like, what's going on? The warp core is a very precision piece of equipment programmed to operate within very minimal tolerances. From what you can see looking at it, it looks like the timing is off. Like what the computer is trying to do is no longer in sync with the way that the antimatter and matter are behaving. But that shouldn't really be possible. All right, well, I will uh, tap my combat. Uh, Rick T to set to Jigoro. That's it here. Uh, I'm having some issues trying to restart the engine, uh, the warp core. There's some timing issues, some issues with the, uh, like, uh, processing speeds of, com- of computers and, and, um, just the timing of all the, the tolerances needed for restarting the warp core is just off. Uh, do you know yeah. of anything that, like, that, would be able to cause all this? Well, uh, the data comes up to the data comes up to Setsa's computer from what just happened with the warp core. Everything the computer did was right. It just seems like the timing on all the reactions changed. So, Setsa says, it looks like a slight distortion in a few physical parameters. It could be something slight, like a little bit of uh, quantum pressure being off. And that having more of an effect. Uh, it'll probably be hard to sort of compensate directly if we're in a slightly distorted physical realm. But I might be able to develop an anti subroutine to compensate. Okay, Setsa, you're on the magic path, so I'm going to go ahead and give you one success for this. But do me a favor and roll Reason Science. Uh, also, AI design is a focus of hers. <laughs> uh, no, you, well, you're on the right path, but AI doesn't come into this. This is... Something else she was talking about. Oh. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I thought it was rolling for whether or not she's able to build her little bot. So, all right. So, reason, science? Indeed. Oh, crap. Momentum, momentum. No, no, this is is fine. This is fine. What happens is that Setsa (laughs) is very sure of, you know, all this. The everything being shifted slightly blue... The different timings, the computer errors, everything. There's one possible explanation that she immediately tosses out because it's completely impossible and insane. That said, she's going to say it out loud anyway. Is it possible that wherever they are, the speed of light is different? Um, is it possible that the speed of light has changed? That sounds really insane, but... Science officer from behind, Marcus, looks over and says... That's not possible. Physical laws don't change across the universe. Well, Marcus says, uh, it doesn't look like we're in the universe right now, so let's keep our options open. Uh, I mean, it should be easy to detect, speed, like, develop a small scientific reaction. Yeah, no, no, yeah, all right, I'll let you guys handle this. Um, Moon, any progress? I mean, I can get us moving, sir, but there's nothing except wreckage in every single direction. All right, let's just keep poking around. By this point, Setsa can also tell from the sensors that almost all of the ships nearby that have failed failed from catastrophic power failures of their power plants just 
overloading and exploding the ship. All the rest of the ships have gone cold with no power and no longer have life forms. It seems like you are uh, not the first people to get here, but if you leave, you will be the first to leave. So uh, Setsa's going to continue scanning, but then she, yeah, she definitely relates to Rick. The speed of light may, she relates to Rick, the speed of light may buy off, but it sounds really crazy. And then she starts working on an AI system to try to compensate for the timing delay. So back at Rick Tier, as odd as it sounds, with everything you know, it does make sense that if the speed of light had changed slightly, the reactions would all be slightly different. It'd be a simple matter to alter the computer to take that into effect, so long as you knew exactly what the new speed of light was. Well, then let's um, let's do a bit of an experiment, see if, in fact, the speed of light has changed, and if so, by how much. So uh, Rick's going to try and put together this um, uh, this little... Um, create a little scenario with mirrors and uh, laser and and timing and and try this and takes work. this takes about five minutes in the engineering lab. At this point, this is the stuff that people in the academy do to see what C is. The only difference is they already know and are just confirming it, whereas you have to find out for the first time. All right, well, uh, let's uh, run the experiment and see what happens. It takes a little while and some number crunching on the computer. But you come out to it, and it seems like the main problem is that the speed of light is slightly faster here than everywhere else. And considering that the fusion reactors use lasers in their components, there's light optical technology in the computers, everything has to be timed in the warp core, that could be affecting almost every system on the entire ship, since the ship was never designed to run under these laws of physics. All right, well, then I will, um, who do I want to call? Marcus or Setsa? Let's call Setsa again. Rick to Setsa. Setsa Jigoro here. Um, you know the thing that you said that was impossible? Yes. I've just run some, um, experiments to determine the speed of light, and it appears we are faster speed of light here is at, at least um, five, uh, it's, about a, it's about a 10% difference. Yeah, about a 10% increase in the speed of light, uh, which would definitely explain well, everything that's going on. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I trust you. Yeah, that's really weird. Um, we'll be sure to take a lot of readings of this if we get out of here. So, um yeah, so I can definitely help with a system-wide um, compensation for that. Yes, and I will start working on the, particularly on the warp core details. Um, so at this point, I'm going to take a slight liberty and move Chorog into engineering, if Chorog doesn't mind. Send back that way anyway. And what's going to happen now is that everybody's going to have to try to bring the ship back online. And what this is going to take is this is going to take Reason science from Setsa, uh, physical engineering for, or fitness engineering for Chorog, and let's say presence engineering from Rick. All right, Chorog manages to go around and update all the components inside the Jeffries tube and is out in record time. Uh, Rick, Setsa's going to make a big roll here. Okay. 
Uh, so yeah, Rick uh, got two successes. Setsa with a computer expertise, additional uh, D20 when programming a computer system. Um, and her focus in creative problem solving and uh, artificial intelligence. Um, crap. <laughs> she gets four successes and a complication. I'm going to say that right now you guys have more than enough momentum. You're probably up to five at this point if you would like to re-roll that complication. Yes, yes. There we go. There you go. So, so she this has is got six you, successes. This is going to bring you basically up to full momentum. And it, you know, at the very last minute, Setsa catches a mistake that it wouldn't have destroyed the ship, but it would have been very embarrassing for her personally. So Chorok manages to go through and update everything. Rick is busy directing engineers this way and that to all their different tasks and keeping an eye on things from the, for the big picture. And Setsa manages to reprogram the computer to take into account the new speed of light. At that point, the entire crew can breathe a sigh of relief as the warp core hums to life and the ship has full power again. So I'm going to do a quick question here that hopefully we can cut out of the middle of this later. Uh, Nor, do you want Waitley involved in this at all? Oh, we can, absolutely. So at this point, we cut to the counselor's office, presumably after Waitley has unfortunately had to clean up some unfortunateness. And Waitley knows that it's very alone out here. Very alone. But off in the distance, he can pick up the feeling of one mind. And it's slowly coming closer. Waitley uh, is going to excuse himself from whichever poor patient he just had to clean up uh, an accident with. And uh, immediately books it for the bridge. Nothing bars the way. And in moments, Waitley bursts onto the bridge. And he uh, he approaches the center the center station and says, "Sir, there's something out here with us." Uh, let's put it this question: Is it something humanoid? Something grotesque and alien? I can't tell yet, but it's coming toward us. And at that uh, point, Waitley is going to try to reach out to it to see if he can tell what it is. It's. Very difficult and fuzzy to tell exactly what you're dealing with. The closest thing to anything you've ever felt like this is Setsa. You're very sure after a moment that whatever you're dealing with, you don't know if you can call it alive. It's definitely something that thinks, but it feels more like a cyborg than anything purely organic. So I... Didn't need to roll, and those were two wasted successes. Awesome. <laughs> Actually, well, I went ahead and gave you more information based on the successes. Oh, okay. Um, so Waitley's standing there, and he's got that ominous, ominous look on his face that he gets when he's, you know, doing some big, massive psychic thing. And he just kind of bolts up right, shocked look on his face. And he doesn't say it, but if anybody's like looking at his face, like can read the lips. He kind of half mouths the words resistance is futile. He doesn't say it out loud. It's just like that's exactly where his brain goes. And he says it is not human. No, sir. Uh, that would be something that I would probably have guessed under the circumstances. Um, any more information? It's it's difficult to explain. It's 
I would almost say it's cybernetic of some sort, sir. It is a machine of some kind, but it thinks the same way that we do. All right. So it might be another survivor here that's been able to make something out of this. I mean, there's plenty of ships and debris. So, all right. Um, can we get the shields up? Getting the shields up is no problem. You have full power again. All right. Uh, let's keep it. To, uh, let's keep Or Do you know what direction it's approaching from? Uh, yeah. Waitley can just point and there's the direction. <laughs> Yep, that's exactly right. what I wanted to do. It sounded out of hail. Um, if it's approaching us, it knows it's we're here, so we're not giving away our position. So let's try to make contact with it, see if it's someone that's willing to talk. Hopefully so, and we might be able to cooperate. At this moment, it has just barely entered sensor range as a blip. And you send out the hail, and what you get back is sort of a kind of ping response. It's obviously some sort of response to your intentions, but... Whatever the system is, it's so alien that it can't directly connect to you right away. So it's just trying to let you know it's there. All right. Uh, let's keep broadcasting. Uh, give a little bit more to work with. Try different frequencies, um, even some creative ones as well. Um, see if we can make contact. And let's just, yeah, let's just keep this a little bit casual for right now. Presuming that no one does anything aggressive, across the sensors, the small craft starts to come into view, weaving through the you know, wreckage. It looks like an oversized F-class shuttle, except for the fact that it has short, stubby wings and no windows or pilot compartment that you can tell. Instead, across the sloped front is just the inset ring of a very large deflector array for such a small ship. And in addition, this ship is pitted and scored and battered. It is absolutely ancient. All right. Let's, uh, sets will try to get a deeper scan on the vessel. So go ahead and roll control science. Okay, as it comes closer, you can realize that this is not anything like the technology you've seen before. It's using some sort of fusion plant that even at reduced capacity is capable of propelling this vessel faster than you could go at impulse. It doesn't make much sense, but it's hard to tell where this came from. And in the middle of this vessel, which seems to be wall-to-wall -wall electronics all the way through, there is a small section of organic matter. It doesn't look like it's being controlled by a being so much as whatever it is, is the ship now. Interesting. And as it gets closer, Here, let's... hold on, as it gets closer, Waitley, you begin to pick up on feelings from it. The main feeling overall is boredom of someone who has been around and seen whatever is about to play out about 10,000 times, and it's tinged only with the slightest hint of curiosity, as if at least this different boredom will break up the normal boredom. Um, Setsa will try to reach out to it. Unfortunately, the distance is too far for Setsa's implants. She would have to try to link herself up through the computer, and that would require a physical connection. Yeah, and she's not going to... Yeah, let on with that quite yet. So she sighs and just sort of goes back to scanning the debris around them, just looking for anything of interest um, or historical uh, significance. Waitley turns to the captain and says, Sir, permission to engage. Engage in what way? My way. All right. Uh, be careful, but yeah, give it a shot. See if you can make uh, contact. Moon, meanwhile, sitting at the front says, Shit, man, do the voodoo stuff. We ain't got nothing else. <laughs> I'm laughing, not Waitley. 
So Waitley is going to attempt to reach out and communicate with it. It takes a bit of time, and it's definitely an alien mind, but after a minute, it realizes you're there, and you feel excitement, mostly because you get the feeling that something new is happening, and this being has not experienced anything new in thousands of years. Okay. It starts trying to connect pictures together for you, but it looks like it might take a little time before it can communicate clearly. All right. So, yeah, I, I wanted to explain exactly how Waitley's doing this. He's doing it the same way with the, with, with he did the, the Horda on the ship, which is at first he tried communicating in mental images and then slowly trying to progress to actual, you know, thoughts and words and stuff like that. It takes a while since the images that the other side is keen on sharing seem to be mostly scientific images and equations. So it takes Waitley a little bit of time to kind of push the track more in a direction he's comfortable with, but eventually you get a limited communication from the being. It, so, gre it greets you, and then immediately says, I hope you don't die like all the others. So Okay, so during all that, Waitley immediately slumps down into his seat you know, his, his, at the center station on the bridge. And he starts punching in all these equations and starts roughly trying to translate them into the computer so that others can see what he's being shown. Uh, it's basic, just scientific information. It's nothing that actually is that interesting. It looks like the sort of things that humans would have sent into space early on to try to show that they were a thinking species. Oh God. I just, I just had this terrible, terrible thought of a joke that's been making the rounds. The aliens finally return uh, the, the the images that we've been sending out for decades. Please stop sending us your creepy dick pics in personal address. We're not interested. <laughs> oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so Waitley, now that we've achieved the, uh, the, the, the actual mental uh, uh, telepathic thought, communication he says uh we are friendly we are concerned as to our current uh experience why do you say you hope we do not perish the way the others have the life form responds i have been here and there's a translation error for the number of years that it has been here which is so massive it it hurts to think about and at the end of that, it says, and if you do not die, you will be the first. We are all trapped here. And at that point, we cut to commercial because it looks like some people are needing bio breaks. And it looks like we've been going maybe about an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. So as we come back from commercial break, the camera swoops and pans through the junk field. Most of it is scrap of unremarkable nature. But as we go by, the camera goes past a very long square ship that seems to have some sort of anchor symbol on the side and the maw of a massive cannon in front. Beyond that, there's an extremely large but still two-person starfighter with four engines on the back. And the camera moves on. Camera drifts over the incredibly large hulk of a giant uh, black cylinder, hollow on the inside. And if you can smell the interior, it slightly smells of cinnamon. Camera pans just... Uh... On the other side of the large cylinder, to a massive black starship with what looks like a rotating middle section, massive guns on the front of it. 
And as the camera pans by several other ships, is a any uh, more guys? Yeah, there's there's one that has um, it looks. <laughs> pardon me. It looks like the the front is the shaped like a like a large swan or a swan head, um, but has this large dome shape and like rear engine that just sort of um, that that energy would have would be spewing out of and 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 showing great burst of light, but is is dead is sort of. Split in, split in two, almost. And as the camera pans past that, it pans past this, what appears to be a floating red convertible sports car with the remains of a spacesuit in the driver's seat. As it drifts past uh, to the Federation members of the audience, what appears slightly familiar, a saucer-shaped uh, vessel, except instead of having a neck and pole and nacelles, it has two protruding points with what appears to be a cockpit sticking off to the side. And after all this, the camera zooms in now on the USS Reliant, and in front of it, an oversized shuttle that has been in this junkyard for an amount of time that made Waitley's brain hurt when he tried to comprehend it. And we return to the bridge. So while Waitley and the uh, the entity in the shuttle, or that is the shuttle, have been communicating telepathically, he's been conveying everything on his pad so that the captain can can see and read what's going on. He suddenly has a thought, and and, and he tries to prevent the, the, the shuttle entity from hearing it, but it's just a, a brief flash of a thought that he probably manages to fail to convey, which is, man, I really need to find a way to hook my brain up to the sensors of the ship so that they can just hear all this as it's going. <laughs> the entity states that states quietly to you that this is, of course, quite possible. Um, just to give you a quick overview of what it knows, what it tells you is that it is from an ancient race called the Jasari, and it is a volunteer of its species that was turned into this ship and sent here to solve a problem. The problem was is that they had discovered a subspace network that, by all descriptions, again, is very similar to the underspace of the Delta Quadrant, and they had begun using it. But they're not the ones who created it, and over time, they started noticing that ships were disappearing on the way from one point to another. The problem eventually got incredibly bad to the point that they decided to send a volunteer in to close down the network entirely to stop it from everyone else. And that was its mission when it ended up being sucked in and pulled into this graveyard. It's not entirely certain what the graveyard is. It could be some sort of security system for unauthorized access or just more proof that the entire system was uncontrollably breaking down. Waitley asks, in, in all the time you have been here, how many attempts have you made to escape? There's another number given. It's painful. It's big. And all with 0% of success. I am limited by current power. In addition, my systems do not seem to work well under the current conditions. I am unable to force open the rift back to the underway that would be required to leave. I do know that this area is a self-enclosed dimension. 
if you travel long enough in one direction, you will simply wind up where you started. Waitley, um, he punches a, 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 a communique into his little pad and he sends it to uh, Setsa and asks what scan, what information would she need to calculate the, uh, the equation, whatever, for our deflector to be able to punch a hole in, uh, back out of this thing. Because this entity may actually be able to help us with that information. Well, from Setsa, I believe that this will take a reason science roll, and you need four successes. Uh, let's roll into momentum. Uh, remember, you I also have determination as well. Can you use it? Uh, let's see. So Setsa has joy in learning, tenacious survivor. To bring yourself up to four dice would require three momentum. I'll let you have an extra dice behind that, but technically that would take one more momentum than you have. Uh, the ship could assist. Okay. So there's that too. And is she, yeah, so let's see. Um, yeah, I don't think her other traits would apply. Yeah, because she's doing the primary stuff. So, um, so that bring her to five dice. She's got a reason science. So that's a 15. Um, would creative problem solving help as a focus? Not in this case. I'm also going to say that. I'm just going to spend all my threat here to lower down I mean, the... that... Like, okay, so, like, when you're doing all that, like, all your threat means, like, what's your lower limit? I have no idea. I, I think I get two threat per character, so I think that's eight threat. So I think I could... Okay, so, like, you could make it, so, I mean, uh, my target's 15. You could push it, like... I think that would basically make eight. 16 or less be the complication. So literally, if you do not succeed, it's instantly a complication. Okay, so 5d20, 15, 1, 16. Yep. You still have three. (laughs) Five successes, no complications. And the crowd goes wild. (laughs) Strangely, without really talking to the entity or anything, just doing some math in her head... Setsa's able to come up with a way that she thinks she could force open a hole that would get them out. In fact, she's pretty sure of it. Waitley asks her to put that equation in a manner that he can relay it to the entity. Uh, Setsa says... Um, I'm pretty comfortable with us being able to get out. Um, we could just, you know, bring him with. You're sure they should be able to fit him. He, uh, he, he breaks his concentration from the telepathy for a second to say... The thing is, it has been trying to get out. It is unable to resolve the power issue that we were able to resolve. And it has been here Uh, for a very long time. Marcus says, I think that would lend us in favor of just bringing him along. Because if we just relay the the equation over to them, they're not going to be able to do anything with it. Setsa at this point remembers what happened to them with their power systems. With the speed of light having changed here... Maybe it also comes from a place where the speed of light was different. Waitley simply nods. So Satsa is going to relay that info, just send that information to Waitley anyway, but just hopes that they just bring him along just to, you know, be safe because she doesn't want to leave him here. And Marcus also says, you know what? Let's also put a buoy in here. Um, just, just in case, let's try to move it in a, um, well, there's just going to be a lot of chips in here, but on the off chance, yeah, let's just deploy, see if we can deploy a couple of probes with the information. Um, that we've gathered just to help anyone else who happens to come in here uh, while those probes are still active. 
Moon looks back from where he is. Why not stick the probes to some of the bigger wrecks? They're not going to go anywhere, and maybe that'll provide them some shielding from being hit by things. All right. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. And with self-replicating technology that the Federation has at this point, they could theoretically last forever, barring a critical failure. Yay! Let's let's do that. So the question is now, what is currently being communicated with the life form, or is there anything at all? That's what I was about to get to. So Waitley is now going to very delicately explain our current uh, plan to, to the entity and ask, would you like to come with us? There's a long pause. No. I desire escape, but I do not wish to follow you. Once I am free, I must close the network and return to see if my own people yet exist. I must accomplish my mission. Waitley uh, communicates that he completely understands, though his crew might not, but he uh, he will ensure that they do understand. And is there anything that we can do to help if we do succeed in getting out? The life form responds that there is not anything that could be done, though if you could share how you had solved your power problems, it would be greatly helpful. At least no engineer, but he tries to explain what he's kind of picked up from listening to everybody about what happened. There's a long silence, and then there's finally a response of, I see, that would explain a great deal. I am unable to self-modify. Would you be capable of modifying my systems to run at these new components, these new specifications? He, uh... Since he, he found that he was able to, you know, maintain the telepathic contact without really breaking his concentration, he, he asks, uh, is Rick Tier on the bridge or is he still down in engineering? He'd be still down. Uh, with the main engineering problem solved, I think he'd be turning, he'd be opening the bridge, uh, opening up. So Waitley turns his attention to uh, Rick Tier and says, do you think you could fix an alien system? that is suffering the same problem? The, the basic... Uh, well, we, we do have... A, one, we do have a communication loop with Alien, and we can get it if needed, but I think I think we should be able to do it without. We do have that back. I guess at that point, all eyes turn to Captain Graves. <laughs> Permission to go ahead, sir? <laughs> um, Granted, but just in case, uh, go ahead and take Chorog and Setsu with you as well. Well, it would be easier if if um, they la- uh, the, the vessel landed in our shuttle bay. This is possible. It is oversized for a shuttlecraft, but it is small enough to get through the doors. So Waitley right, so just- conveys that idea to the entity and says, would you be willing to dock with us so that we can make your repairs? After so many years, I have no choice but to trust you. At the very least... It will be a new experience. Waitley conveys the entity's agreement to the crew. So at this point, the camera just cuts out to the entity slowly flying and then settling into the cargo bay, where the before-mentioned persons are now there with a few extra engineers and some tools. Up close, it's just amazing how old this thing really is. There's not a section of it that isn't covered in a scratch or a dent of some sort. You can see a lot of the engineers just sort of going over it and just running their hands over it, just sort of like amazed and and just taking in in the just how ancient it is and all the damage and all all everything that 
this vessel must have seen over this long time. It's sort of like there's just like that moment of of awe as as they as, as they gape before uh, uh, before this... Rictier starts. Okay, now we need to work out how to start this program. At this point, Setsa can also attempt to initiate a link with the machines that is now within the wireless capabilities of her uh, computer, wireless computer control. Yeah, so her, her Borg interface implant, which has been, um, uh, let's just say, uh, given a little bit more stimulation thanks to her recent experiences on IFR. So she attempts to make a link. Will she need to roll for this? You will, because there's still a language barrier, which has been the main problem so far. Waitley has been the one to easiliest get around this. So let's say that it okay, will take so, insight science. All right. E, and then she... Yeah, let's just go with this. Sets is able to open up basic communication, and she could download to the ship the appropriate codex to enable them to speak with the ship through the radio. Uh, she proceeds to do that, um, and she's still outside the ship. It hasn't opened up yet, correct? There is no place on the ship to open. Ah, okie dokie. So yeah, she just, um, just initiates that contact, starts downloading the codex, and, um... Once reached, the computer sends back what it can of the schematics, and a voice that is unlike any you've heard comes through and says, I will be of little help. I can send you the schematics that are stored in my systems, but I am not an engineer, and I do not entirely understand how I function. Uh, Setsa replies uh, back. No worries, we've got a lot of people here who can assist in that, and they're very well skilled. So, um, yeah, hi. Greetings. Currently, you have lasted the longest without succumbing to power failure or overload. The chances of this are, and it rattles off a very long series of numbers. Thank you for beating the odds. Yeah, we're pretty like we're pretty lucky like that. So um, yeah, is so we need to do the modifications. Your ship, you know, doesn't seem to have you know any way of opening. Are there any little like access ports? Various points on the schematic that you were given light up, and the ship simply responds, "I have been built as a single unit. I do not have access points for deeper systems. You will have to remove." lower-ranking systems to access anything deeper if it is required. Also, at this point, Chorog has been walking around the hull, and it looks like there's something weird stuck in it near the aft section. Chorog examines the thing, scans it, finds it's relatively loose, pries it loose, looks at it... Well, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Give the DM a time to... It's definitely some sort of musical instrument. It seems to be made of some sort of goldish metal... It's got valves all along it. You're not entirely certain what it is, but you think it's probably human? Throg looks at, pulls out his uh, wrist-top computer, starts scanning musical instruments, discovers it's a recorder. Actually, you discover it's a flute. Wonder how that got here. As he chucks it over his shoulder. Clang! It rolls away. So at this point, the entity is, as best it can, told you... Where to poke and prod to open it to alter the systems for the calculations required to operate at a different speed of light. As you pull it open, though, it is clear that this machine is very alien. It still boggles the mind how it seems to run on a source of fusion power rather than matter-antimatter. 
All right. Well, this uh, would be where Sets is going to. Oh, sorry, you go. No, let's no, let Rick go first. He's the engineer. <laughs> well, this would be where Rick's um, experimental. What, what exactly? I had it up now. Experimental technology. Yeah, that, that's where his experimental technology focus would come in handy. So he would um, just try and and start analyzing the blueprints to find out. Um, what and where he needs to access and check. No worries. Your focus would apply, and this would be insight engineering. My worst attribute, best discipline. Uh, do I have any moment? Um, what's the difficulty? The difficulty was one success. You manage it. It takes oh, you a little sorry. while, but okay. you're able to puzzle out no, what oh, systems no, are connected. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. Two successes on that. Oh, sorry. That was for Setsa. Yeah. What did Setsa roll for? Uh, that was earlier. Um, that was for establishing uh, links oh, right. to the language thing. Right on. Sorry. But anyway, actually with two successes, you're able to pretty well work out what systems lead to what. Um, there's definitely a cluster of stuff in the middle that you don't even begin to understand that is generally labeled computation and life support. And you figure that so long as you stay away from that and you don't shut down the power plant, everything should be fine. Setsa, being one of the smaller members of the group, uh, also slender and with a prehensile tail, is going to try to assist with sort of getting in the um, sort of the tighter spots to do some of the uh, modifications. Okay, let's have uh, Chorog make a. Let's see, what kind of engineering role would this be? That's uh, Chorog. Let's go fitness engineering. That seems to be sort of his thing, and then right. Setsa can uh, assist with a fitness engineering. Oh boy. A control engineering, perhaps, since it's um, she's going the more dexterous slash maneuverability route. Well, in this case, it's physical dexterity, not so much her ability to control, you know, a machine. I like, yeah. Let's let's go with fitness. Makes it a little bit more interesting. Okay, that was supposed to be one die, but I'm still counting only the first one, so it's a success anyway. Between okay. the two of them, Chorog and Setsa managed to take apart various parts of the ship and get to the data storage areas where they're able to link up a cable. At least after fabricating a cable that will fit. At this point, the vessel kind of responds through, you know, the pads that everyone's got carrying. Seems like you now have access to my long-term storage. You should be able to upload any information you require there, as well as download information that you find useful. There are other physical changes that might need to be taking place. And there's a pause. But I believe you have already done the necessary work. It looks like I will be able to flip back and forth between two different configurations, thus enabling me to go back to normal once I have escaped this cursed place. Yeah, that's about the gist of it. Um, yeah, uh, Lately mentioned you were bored, so is there any, like, entertainment we can provide? Just data that you might find interesting or novel? Your presence alone has been the most novel thing to happen to me within the last 10,000 years. The sense is going to hum at that and just uh, adds a few files along. Um, miscellaneous uh, Ibby cartoons, as well as a few books. Because it sets a... Well, at this point, it looks like the only thing to do is to patch up your new friend, you know, finish out the details of the plan to escape, and then try and get on out of here. Um, let's see, anything for sets to roll for and getting out? Uh, well, yeah. by get out, I meant lead the ship to safety, so that's coming in a bit. Okay. 
Well, no, no, I meant like just like her, like yeah, I just kind of imagined her still like like in one of the um, access boards. No, she 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 rolled successfully. Presumably, okay. if she gets stuck, Charag will just grab her by the ankles and. Uh, yeah, I just take it. I just take it. Rip her out of there. <laughs> Wee! You know, what? after we pipe this up, I'm rolling for it. Any threat to spend? No, no, go for it. I think that this is going to be a fitness roll. So, and okay. she rolled surprisingly good anyway. Yeah, yeah. She didn't roll well on the vomit. It's just basically after that she's been doing well. So I'm going to do one for fitness in command. Okay, so I don't know what Charg was trying to do, but he probably succeeds at whatever it is. So go ahead and tell us. Well, Setsa was trying to get out of there. She got sli- slightly tangled, so I grabbed her by the ankles and just ripped her out of there. And one, two, three. Again, back to what I said before. Wee. <laughs> Wee. So it, like, so he he sort of pulls her uh, pulls her out. So it's just basically just yanking straight out. Yeah, and I have her hanging there by her ankles, and she looks up at me. Setsa's also wearing a skirt. Everyone gets to know what the color code for today is. <laughs> uh, she just sort of like hangs there and just says, um, uh, Hi, Jorog. Uh, you okay? I am now. And there's just that awkward moment. From across the bay, there. a large Rocky crew member just looks over. I think she wants you to put her down. Okay. Jorog just drops her. And she lands with a small squeak and just, yeah, assembles her, or, uh, yeah, gets herself back in a ready position and just sighs and says, Thank you, Chorak, but, I mean, definitely, you know, be mindful of how you hold people. Emily, we don't like being upside down. Sorry again. Waitley, meanwhile, knows that a certain image has been burned into many a crewman's mind today. Waitley knows what he's going to be spending the next rest of his week doing. <laughs> it's time to learn how to remove memories. I'll be in my, I'll be in my bunk. You can just go down to Club 42 for that. Grimner knows exactly how to remove memories. It's called vodka. Oh, precise. Oh, it's going to be a precise art, too. Grimnir will know how to, like, specifically tailor the vodka. Like, okay, you want to remove the last day, last hour. I mean, was it two hours ago? Was it one hour ago? Like where, like, where exactly do you want your memory erased? So we just do a quick jump cut to Club 42 where Grimnir's bartender senses tingling. I must go. My people need me. <laughs> <laughs> just cut right back, to the, right back to the shuttle bay where everybody is closing everything up. Well, I think we... Uh, so Rick T is going to run some scans just to make sure that everything uh, does seem to be working at Everything seems to be working fine, and if you can understand half of what you've just seen, you'll be able to greatly increase Federation fusion power capacity. This ship was um, designed on entirely different principles from yours. One other thing, uh, Setsa will have also, before we go, uh, downloaded as much as she could of the aliens' uh, database. You get a great deal of cultural and historical information. To say that it's old would be an understatement. Uh, what about technology? info that the machine guards a little more jealously saying please do not access that and she will definitely have complied with that so she has a lot of cultural information which she'll be really happy with so the entity says over the open con link i believe that all necessary changes have been made i am clear to launch waitley peeks up holds a finger up and says well there is one last thing it's just one more thing, sir, and then I'll be out of your hair. 
And I just, I must, I must digress, for this was an error of etiquette on my part. When we first spoke, I failed to introduce myself. I am Victor Waitley of Starfleet Chaplain Corps. Whom do we have the pleasure of meeting? There's a very long pause. Name. Name. Can't remember. To be honest, it's been a long time since I've given it any thought. Uh, does there appear to be any kind of markings on There are, but you can't... The Universal Translator doesn't know what to make of them, and there's not enough there to start a translation program. Waitley feels a little awkward. He says, uh, well, what would you like to be called? I am nothing more than a volunteer to solve a problem. You may simply call me Volan if you wish. Waitley nods and says, it has been an absolute pleasure meeting and working with you, Volan, and we are extremely grateful for your assistance. Thank you. Should my people still exist when I return home, I will be sure to tell them of your species and your luck. At this, if there is nothing else in the way, the craft, you know, levitates slightly off and reverses out of the shuttle bay. As, as the ship goes, it has been an honor. Rick, Rick says that uh, just as he starts to live. At this point, I think we can cut back to the bridge and take everyone along so long as nobody has something else they'd rather be doing right now. Nope. I think we're all eager to uh, see if this we managed to pull this off. <laughs> so back on the bridge, there comes now a hail from the ship, which is able to at least bring up text on the screen now, thanks to the previous experience with computer systems. The ship simply says, as far as this goes, you should probably leave first with a slight head start. When I go to leave, I will use the technology that I was designed with to collapse the entire system behind me. No one else will ever be trapped in this graveyard again. Um, when Setsa gets back to the control, she's going to scan the, um, the debris field one more time to see if there's anything they can uh, quickly transport aboard of interest. Oh, there's all sorts of interesting stuff out there. Whether or not you'll be able to make heads or tails of it after you get home, that might be a different story. But if you wanted, you could spend some time filling your cargo hold with all sorts of strange odds and ends. Uh, she'll just try to grab, like, one or two things that just pique her curiosity and just beam it uh, to, a secure or to a secure containment unit in the uh, science lab. And usually just uh, she'll try to go for, you know, bits of data systems or something like that. So roll for it. Sure, roll to see if she correctly identifies data systems. Okay, so uh, let's see. That would be engineering insight. Sounds good. She is able to beam aboard a a number of things that she believes to be data storage. They're all extremely alien, and working them out will be a great task, but she's pretty sure they're data storage. Pretty sure. Okay. Okay. She's happy with that and just, you know, uh, readies herself to handle any of the science magic. The vessel just waits nearby. You know, Volan simply types along the screen of, you're cleared to leave when you're ready, Captain. Hi. Best to be to you. Good luck. And, um, yeah, it's been nice just to, you know, help someone out out here and know we weren't alone. I am well familiar with that feeling. Well, hope you find your people. I hope there is something left. So at this point, let's have uh, let's have Chorog and Rick Tier both make a reason engineering role for setting into motion the appropriate things to get the deflector to, you know, reverse the beta tachyon pulse and polarize the neutron flow and 
Put more science, increase the Flash Gordon noise and put more science stuff around it. More spinning lights. Tape. Uh, can Setsa assist with this one? No, Setsa has already worked it out. Now they just have to put it into practice. Okay. Would, that include light light that, would that include a light bar that flashes back and forth? <laughs> <laughs> there is, but it's only above Chorog Station. Cool. <laughs> Uh, uh, 12 and so, from Rick. with the number of successes you have, this does not prove to be any great issue. Power flows from the ship into the deflector dish in the front. It tears through a subspace and opens up what appears to be a path that will lead you back to the Ivanmoth system. If you go through this gateway, you will be back where you started, and you will probably never be able to return here. Well, we did launch those uh, those two beacons, right? So, oh, yeah. The yeah, system's got beacons that... in it who are, you know, just broadcasting basic information on how to get the hell out. Yeah, but I would imagine that if if on the chance that Volan fails to destroy this uh, dimension or whatever, and that this portal eventually op- opens up again, that those those beacons will be readable at a distance. I don't know, just just hazarding, I guess, there. Just positing that thought. Yes, this is all true. Not being able to come back runs with the assumption that Volan will, you know, succeed in his mission. If Volan does not succeed, then there's a possibility that other ships may become trapped here, and hopefully the beacons and information you've left behind will be useful. Moon just looks over her shoulder at the captain. So, uh... Let's bring her home. Hi, sir. Moving through full impulse. As we uh, as we start to go through the thing, Waitley sends one last uh, telepathic message to Volan and says, "Until we meet again, if we do," is the response. When they come back around, they come through the portal this time, and there's no pain, no nausea, nobody passes out. The warp core does shut off again, and the fusion plants start to report issues. But everyone can notice now that the blue tinge is gone, and knowing what you do now. It should be a simple matter to restore the original configuration of the ship and be back up and online. So once the engineering crew does that, I'll um, message Setzer again. Brick to you to Setzer. Uh, Setzer here. Do we have... Can we confirm that the anomaly has been shut down? Yeah, I'll uh, see if we can uh, work that out. Go ahead and give me a reason... Or, yeah, reason science will work. You're able to tell that the anomaly behind you is gone and closed. But with only one success, you're not able to tell if that's because it's closed on its own or because Volan was successful. All you know is the anomaly is gone. Uh, Setsa will relay the information to uh, Richtier and to Graves. Um, Can Richtier do some programming so that he personally gets an alert if the beacons detect the... uh the uh, anomaly opening up. Yeah, there's a beacon that's been left near where the anomaly should open again, if it ever does open again. It's a simple matter to reconfigure it to send out a ping if it detects the anomaly. Based on the information Futagami gave you, though, it'll probably be at least ten years before it would open again on its own anyway. Better safe than sorry. Yeah. Indeed. So, um, Marcus... Marcus, at that point, uh, just uh, compiles the report that he's had ready, sends that off to Starfleet, and says, as a general hail to the crew, it's like, all right, 
really fun work today. We got into a tricky situation, but came out of it with a lot of great data and uh, yeah, solved a little bit of mystery here and helped someone along the way. So really proud of everyone. Um, we'll be resuming our present course here shortly. And uh, yeah, hopefully we won't find too many surprises that proved to be as tricky as this one, at least for a little while. Hey, Carol. So I'll go ahead and tell you now as the ship warps out that everyone is going to have a great deal of stuff to do between sessions. Chorog and Rick Tier have a lot of engineering to go through, as well as probably papers to pen on the fact that the speed of light apparently can change, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. Marcus has the standard reports oh. to give. Sorry, go ahead. Uh one small thing, we could also, uh, just for a little bit of fun, just say that we've also delegated Quentin to be able to help with those um, papers. Consider it so done. Love something like that. <laughs> Quentin has helped, is being enlisted as a co-author on those papers uh, for his expertise and just to get his reaction. So that's basically what's going to happen there. Setsa also has a great deal of time to go try to pull out data and use what she can. Uh, as far as the engineering team is concerned, though, the greatest thing that might come of interest is if they can figure out how that fusion reactor was so much more efficient. Uh, Marcus has his general reports to write to Starfleet. And Waitley just has time to consider... A tr what a truly alien life form he has met. Well, and he was older than our understanding of how long the universe has existed. <laughs> Pretty much. You're not exactly sure where he came from or where he's going, but the place where you all found yourself was quite odd. And Charog would like to have a hand uh, helping out Seta with those. He, being a pirate, has had uh, experience cracking storage devices. Excellent. That'll enable Setsa to get more, da more data out, and everybody's a little happier. As the episode ends, we zoom in from outside the ship through a window to Club 42, where Kara Junrani sits, still face down on the bar, and there's a sound of soft snoring. And then the credits come up. Well done, everyone. One, one, one last scene. Go ahead. Where, where are we going? We go from Club 42... To the cargo the cargo hold, the cargo bay. Grimner comes running in with his little portable bar kit. Oi! I detected an emergency! Where is everybody? <laughs> Decor looks over at him. Is this about what happened to Setsa? <laughs>